all the mechanical things. Did I hit my spot? Did I not hit my spot? Um, could I have thrown the ball harder? Um, could I have broke this rise ball a lot faster? Could my changeup have been slower? You know, all those things. All those things you got to worry about in practice. You know, in the game, I'm going to worry about, okay, am I fully committed to this pitch? And am I in the moment to prepare to throw it? Those are the most important things. Are you looking for a high-energy, competitive way to get your team to compete while training athleticism, hand-eye coordination, and lateral quickness? If so, you got to check out Spikeball. Top high school, college, and professional athletes around the world are using Spikeball as a fun and safe competition to start their training sessions, practices, and workouts. It's also a tremendous way to train your routines and releases and build that elite mindset. As a listener to the Peak Performance Podcast, Podcast, you can get a free spike ball set by visiting briancane.com slash spike ball. Again, that's briancane.com slash spike ball because if you're not playing spike ball, you're just playing games. If your body could talk, what would it tell you? Know your body, transform your life. That's the motto of DexaFit, the best in helping you know your numbers. DexaFit shows you exactly how your body composition, cardiovascular fitness, and metabolic health compares to the optimal standard. We know that measurement equals motivation, and DexaFit measures your progress while providing the diet and fitness plan customized for your body. DexaFit is providing a tremendous opportunity for listeners of the Peak Performance Podcast to get their first scan at a discounted rate. Go to briancane.com slash DexaFit. That's briancane.com slash D-E-X-A-F-I-T right now to learn more. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your Peak Performance Coach here with the Peak Performance Podcast. And today, our guest is quite possibly the greatest female athlete on the planet, Monica Abbott. She was a four-time All-American pitcher at the University of Tennessee and set the NCAA Division I softball all-time record for career wins. You might want to take note because there's a lot. Career wins, strikeouts, shutouts, innings pitched, games started, and games pitched. She was the 2007 Consensus Softball Player of the Year and the 2007 Women Sports Foundation Sportswoman of the Year. The Santa Cruz, California native is the only player in NCAA history to register 500 strikeouts in each of her four collegiate seasons. She threw 23 no-hitters in six perfect games when at Tennessee. She was a member of the Team USA softball program in 2005 and in 2008 was a part of the silver medal winning softball team at the Beijing Olympics. In May of 2016, she signed a six-year contract with the Scrapyard Dogs of the National Pro Fast Pitch League worth $1 million, the most lucrative ever paid by an individual American professional franchise to an active female athlete in any team sport. You can learn more about Monica at monicaabbott.com and on Twitter at Monica Abbott. Please welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast. Again, one of, if not the greatest female athlete of all time, Monica Abbott. Monica, thank you for joining us. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Um, such a great introduction. <laughs> I'll have so, to uh, record it and send it to you so you can use it as an alarm on your phone when you wake up. <laughs> oh, no, please no, please no. <laughs> Monica, if you would, for our listeners, let's, let's, let's talk to our audience as if they're you know softball coaches, softball players. We've got coaches and athletes from all sports. But if you could, you know, talk about your mindset and the importance of the mental game when it comes to, to softball success. Well, you know, I think – Every day we practice, right? We practice a lot on all of the little things, pitching, hitting, softball, any any sport. You're always practicing. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to that big moment, you know, it, you have to know. You have to know deep, somewhere deep inside yourself. You have to know somewhere deep inside your heart, inside your brain that you can do it and that um, that you want to compete in that moment. And you never know when that big moment is going to come in a, in a game, in a competition. And those moments can come once during a game and they can come continually. And you have to be ready and you have to know um, both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all that good stuff. You have to know that you're, you're ready for, to capture that big moment. Are there times, Monica, and obviously with the success you've had in your entire career, you know, but are there times where maybe it was in the Olympics or when your freshman year at Tennessee or even now playing professionally in Japan, are there times where maybe you don't feel great, but you still go out and perform at a high level? So maybe your confidence going into the game that day from a feeling standpoint is not where it could be or where you'd want it to be, but your performance is still top notch. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's everyone. I mean, it's human nature to have a little bit of doubt or nervousness or just not knowing if you're 100% ready. Did I do everything on all those questions that kind of pop up in your mind? Like, should I have practiced a little bit more? Should I, should I have, you know, should I have run more? Should I have lifted more? You know, all these questions that people have when, you know, before, before the game starts. When you're warming up the night before, you know, am I ready? Do I have everything? Um, those types of questions. You still, you still get that feeling that never goes away, but it's that level of trust. Do you have that level of trust that the work that you did um, will suffice for what you prepared? Are you prepared enough? Did you, did, did you do what you needed to do um, to prepare for this moment? And then once the game starts, you got to kind of push it all to the back and throw it out, throw all that negative, um, I always say throw it out of your brain. That's kind of like my thing. And um, let it fly over. That's another good one. Let it fly over, throw it out. And um, stay in that moment. You talk about let it fly over and throw it out. You know, it's kind of like a like a baseball player that wears a hat, taking a hat off, letting the negative go away, put the hat back on. It sounds like maybe you've gotten some Ken Revisa at one point in your career. Have you worked with Ken at all? Um, way back in the day, um, at Tennessee, I worked with uh, Dr. Joe Whitney. He was on our campus. I worked with him a lot on visualization and mental training. Training. Ken Revisa worked with our national team a little bit here and there, but we always have had, I've always kind of had this thing and Dr. Whitney kind of helped me um, pre find something to kind of like just shake off the negative, um, whether it's a thought or whether it's a moment when, when the game, um, when the game gets really fast, you know, um, we talk about like, Hey, all of a sudden you throw one pitch and then there's a runner on first and all of a sudden there's a runner on second. And like, I've only, what's happening. Uh, 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 and you start spinning a little bit and you, and the game gets really fast, um, how are you going to, you know, throw it out or forget about it? 
so that you can so that you can make your next pitch in that big moment uh, for your team. You know, you mentioned uh, Dr. Joe Whitney and Small World. I actually, I did my master's at Tennessee, or I'm sorry, I did my master's at Cal State Fullerton under Ken Revisa, and then was going to go pursue a PhD at Tennessee with Joe Whitney and, and decided to take another course. So Small World, um, you know, yeah, he's, could he's you? He's a good one. He, um, yeah, he fantastic. Helped he helped me a lot at Tennessee. I worked with him all four years. And even, even when I was competing with the national team afterwards, um, he helped me kind of like, really get a lot stronger mentally, a lot tougher, I guess I would say, a lot tougher, tougher. So, you know, Monica, for, for a lot of athletes, I think when they, when they first get turned on to sports psychology and they're like, Oh, Hey, we got the sports psychologist on campus or one that works with our team, like the initial response. And maybe you went through this and I, I went through this as an athlete was like, Hey, I'm not screwed up. I don't need to go talk to the sports psych person. Right. But I think right. when you come to a certain point where you're like, Hey, I want to be the best I can be. And obviously for you, you want to be the best that's ever played the sport best in the world. So you're exhausting all opportunity to get better. Did you go through that with sports psychology or were you, were, or were you immediately open-minded to it? Um, I did, I did. And I did because my freshman year of college, you know, I, w- I went away for school. So I was kind of far from home and being a, a young 18 year old, you know, and a lot of new things going on. Plus, I, I went across the country to the University of Tennessee. And it was actually suggested by my college coaches, Ralph and Karen Weekly, that I go and just try and try it out. And at first I was kind of like, I don't need to go to mental training. I'm fine. I don't need to see a sport psychologist, you know, like I had all these kind of weird thoughts. But then after a while, I kind of realized that it wasn't really, it was more so just kind of preparing me. I felt a lot calmer in the games. I was able to control my emotions, um, especially in big situations and I really left on to like the visualization and then just creating some creating kind of a routine that sets you up for success um so as my first year my my freshman year you know I was kind of like this is weird you know and then as I went on I I decided you know I think this can really help me out um if I really if I want to compete in the Olympics in 2008 if I want to play professionally um after college, if I want to try and compete for a national championship, I need to like, I need to get it together upstairs as well. So, um, and then later in my career, my junior, senior year, my sophomore, in my sophomore year, I, I really took advantage of um, Dr. Whitney and he ended up, he even ended up coming to the World Series with us. Um, I called him from Beijing, like um, he was a great asset to me. That's awesome. You know, you mentioned one of the things that you worked on with Dr. Whitney was was visualization and mental training. Would you talk a little bit specifically about visualization and how you use that maybe leading up to a game? And then do you actually ever use that in the bullpen or in a game and maybe see a pitch before you throw it? Is that something that you do consistently? Um, When I first started doing it, so I think, and you can speak on this, but visualization, it's something that kind of has to be practiced before you become really good at it. Um, so when I first started, I would, I would go, we would play Saturday and Sunday and I would go see Dr. Whitney on like Thursday and we would visualize in his room and he would kind of walk me through like, uh, a breathing routine to kind of like calm my mind and calm my body a little bit. So then I, and then we would walk through the game, you know, the first inning through the seventh inning and we'd create fictitious situations like runners on, no runners on. How am I going to react? watch yourself do this routine afterwards. Um, 
after something negative happens, you know, watch this routine after you give up a hit, watch this routine after you strike someone out. What are you doing in what is your visualization? How do you see yourself? Um, and that was how it kind of first started. But as I've gotten, as I got better at actually visualizing, because that you gotta, you gotta practice it. Right. So as I got better at visualizing, um, sometimes I would do it, you know, right in between innings sometimes, or just a little bit at night before I go to bed on game day. Um, now, I, now I tend to do it before, um, before I pitch at some point during our warm up, um, when I just have a little bit of quiet time. So maybe if I'm stretching alone or sometimes I use these bands, the J bands, Jager bands. And sometimes I do it when I'm doing the bands and, um, it doesn't take me long to kind of just see, cause I want to, now I just walk, I don't walk through an entire game. I walk through a few pitches or a few moments, depending on what I feel I need, um, that day. You mentioned a breathing routine. Could you talk a little bit about that? And do you do you actually take a breath? You know, in your in your in your windup, let's say, as you're getting on the rubber and you're looking down, and then the head comes up. Is there somewhere in there where you're taking a deep breath every pitch to help you go one pitch at a time? Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think if anything, I try. I really focus on my breathing routine in game. Um, the visualization kind of out of game. I don't really do that in in game as much, but um, breathing for sure. In between pitches, um, I do this like little routine where I kind of like dust off the mound or something. Um, I do a different little things that have kind of helped me kind of reset, reset myself. And I'm a big proponent for taking a deep breath because I feel like it not only calms you, but it keeps you in the moment. It keeps you in the moment mentally. It keeps you in the moment physically. It makes you forget about what has just happened or what's going to happen. And it keeps you in that moment. And if you can perform at a high, the highest level in one moment throughout the game in moment, 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 all these moments, then you can, you can throw your best pitch, you know, you can be fully prepared. And then at that moment, if I throw my pitch and let's say I was in the moment and it would say I threw it and I was completely 100% in the moment and it gets hit. I, I don't have to have any regrets because I, I know I was in the moment. We, I know I, I was there mentally. I know I was there physically. I know I was there emotionally. And that's what breathing helps me do. And um, if, I, if I give up that hit, I can feel like, okay, I did everything I did. On to the next one. And then I can continue to be on, in that moment and know that I can, again, bring it mentally, physically, emotionally on that next pitch. So having that constant breath um, allows you to to bring to bring it with everything you have in in those moments of the game that you really need to. I love it, and it, you know, a friend of ours in, in mutual, uh, Alan Jager. One of the things that Alan has helped me a lot with over the course of, of our relationship is just doing a simple meditation and breathing exercise. You know, out of competition, so that when you're in competition, which for you would obviously be softball, for me it might be being on stage in front of 5,000 people or right. be jumping in to do an Ironman or something like that, whatever the time is when you get, um, you know, a yellow light or a red light, you start to speed up a little bit in whatever aspect of life, you can kind of go back to the meditation that you've practiced that breath so that you know it's there. And when you take it, and when I feel like when I take it, um, 
you know, before I go out to perform per se, I feel like it dials me back in and I get back in the moment and in control. Is meditation something that you do off the field as well? Um, I'm not as big into meditation. I do do it occasionally, but, um, it is very true. I do the same. I, whenever I go out to speak, um, in front of big groups or whenever I put on events, um, I always use my breathing techniques. I use my visualization techniques because it really does center you and allow you to kind of get that. I don't know. What would you say? Like a laser focus kind of get locked in. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Get, get your edge a little bit. Yeah, it gets you revved a little bit, and it makes it just brings everything together. So you, if you're already prepared, um, just that that one moment to kind of I don't know, take it all in really helps. But yeah, I do it even when I do my events. Also, you know, you you mentioned um, you know you you can you only have control right of where you throw the softball, and you can throw the exact pitch that you want to, and. Uh, sometimes not often for you, but you make your you make a pitch exactly the way you want to. It's going to get hit, right? It right. happens even to the best pitcher on the planet. What's how do you define a quality pitch, Monica? And how do you define success for yourself in the circle? Ah, great question. Okay, how do I define success? Well, one is for me is did I stick to kind of like my routine? Did I did I throw the pitch that I wanted to throw? Did I throw, did I have doubt? Like did I have a doubt when I did I have that? little voice in the back of my head saying like, Oh, maybe this pitch would be better to throw, you know? So did I fully 100% commit to throwing that pitch? That's one thing. And then also, was I in the moment? Was I in the moment? Awesome. So did I, did you throw the pitch you wanted yeah. to throw and were you in the present moment? Was I in the present moment? That's success to me because all the mechanical things, all the, you know, did I hit my spot? Did I not hit my spot? Um, could I have thrown the ball harder? Um, could I have broke this rise ball a lot faster? Could my changeup have been slower? You know, all those things. All those things you got to worry about in practice. You know, in the game, I'm going to worry about, okay, am I fully committed to this pitch? And am I in the moment to prepare to throw it? Those are the most important things um, to me. Love that. So, you know, we talked a little bit of how you define success for yourself as a pitcher. Now, you know, if you take kind of your, your whole softball career, right, and, and not just Monica Abbott, the softball pitcher, but Monica Abbott, the human being, how do you define success for yourself in, in life right now at where you are? I think for me, it's am I making a difference and am I making a difference in in athletics? Am I being an example for someone else? Am I creating a dream? And you could call it cheesy if you want, but am I, am I creating a dream or something for someone else? When I step on the field, are the people watching me being inspired by my play? Are they being motivated by how I present myself on the field? And that can, and that's for anyone. That's for someone that's five years old and just playing softball that's for the 12 year old baseball boys that come out to play the brothers and that's for the parents you know are they inspired by that maybe their daughter could be that same one um am i being that light and that vision of um, motivation and inspiration for them and you know every time i step on the field in houston with the dogs i really hope that uh, people see that 
love that. You know, you, so you talk about it, you know, separating the kind of who from the do, you know, and everybody knows Monica as, as the, the pitcher, um, you know, but I think having that, that mindset that you have of, of being a role model for other people to look up to, you know, and you use the word cheesy, I think it's inspirational, you know, that we've got professional athletes uh, that are out there trying to, to live their life the right way and do things the right way to be a model for other people to grow the game and to help inspire other people to do great things. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, there wasn't a real, there wasn't a professional league. There wasn't a national professional fast pitch league. There wasn't, you know, when I was younger and first started playing softball, softball wasn't even in the Olympics until I was in like middle school. So I didn't have like that vision of a of a female athlete to look up to. And I feel like because I didn't have that and I was always watching baseball or watching, you know, the older kids in my rec league that I feel like if I could be that example that I so wanted as a young kid, then um, I'm I'm going to leave the game a little bit better than I found it one day. And it really does. It really does start that way. And if I can just create a little bit of inspiration for all those that are watching um, and create that excitement because sports are exciting. They're they're fun to watch, and I want I want someone to turn on the TV and be like, you know, when they see LeBron James playing basketball, I want them to be like, ooh, Monica Abbott's, Monica Abbott's pitching tonight, you know? I want them to have that same feeling when they turn on the TV. It's awesome. Well, it's funny as you were mentioning that because I was just thinking, man, I can't wait for 2020 in the, in the Olympics to be able to turn it on and see Monica out there in the circle, you know, getting after it and ripping it up. That's going to be awesome. The... Um, in terms of like, you talked a little bit about kind of taking your breaths before you go to speak or before you have an event, um, all the skills that you've learned coming up through softball, right? I mean, obviously, um, you get you get paid to go out there and pitch because you're the best in the world at that. Well, at some, at some point, you know, you're, you're not going to be pitching softball anymore, but you're still going to take all the lessons you've learned through mm-hmm. softball and you're going to apply it to your life to be successful in whatever it is you decide to do. For the listeners to this podcast for the young women, let's say, out there that are softball players that know, hey, my career my career is going to be done in college, what would you say are the skills, whether it's mindset, routine, controlling what you can control, emotional control, breathing, etc., what would you say are some of the skills that you've learned through softball that softball players can use when their career is over to be successful in anything they pursue? And just general? And yeah, just in general. Free, free open question? Yep. Okay. Um, I would definitely say one thing all athletes have, obviously teamwork. Um, but I think consistency is a huge one that is really valuable in the workforce is in whatever life after athletics is consistency. Um, coming, you know, as athletes, we go to the field every day, we practice, we do our routine. Um, we go home. That consistent aspect is so important. And, in life after athletics, but also being able to capture moments, um, creating, creating momentum, um, creating momentum as, you know, for a big project and capturing that moment to really, um, capitalize on, you know, selling your product or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so creating those moments for you. And then also, of course, I, I'm a big proponent of visualization and taking those deep breaths because whether I'm standing on the mound throwing a pitch with the bases loaded and trying to get a strikeout or whether I'm going in to talk to my boss, um, about something important, you know, you, everyone needs, everyone needs that moment to kind of calm themselves and stay centered in the moment. And that's important. And you can use that in any time, any time, any day. 
You know, Monica, let's backtrack a little bit. One of the things you mentioned uh, was J-bands. And if you go to any college baseball program in the country, you're going to see 12 pitchers with, with 12 bands out on the fence doing all these different stretches and things like that. I've got gold ones out in my in my garage that I was hitting this morning as a former college baseball pitcher who's now trying to learn how to swim, you know, trying to keep the shoulder and keep, keep the moneymakers intact here. Uh, I don't see a lot of softball players using J-bands. You know, I don't see a lot of softball players doing arm care. It's like they just get it and, and get going. Um, but I think that they should. Could you talk a little bit about the benefits that you've gotten from J-Bands and why you would encourage other softball players to, to start using those? Well, you know, I've been using bands. I've been with Alan, and I helped Alan Jager and the J-Bands and helping to bring him, break him into uh, the softball community. And he's getting there, um, especially at the collegiate level still working on the youth level but um at the collegiate level it's a lot more prevalent now but you know (laughs) you're totally right you know we have these great shoulders and um our little money makers babies here so um we got to take care of them right i mean so and the more that we take care of them the more they'll take care of you so um that's important but you know i think it it really is important you know if you're gonna train train your body if you're gonna train for a, a skill if you're going to train your mind, um, if you're going to eat right, you know, if you're going to do all these things, you got to make sure that you're doing all the all the other little things too, such as, you know, taking care of the little muscles in your shoulder or your knees or those things as well. Awesome. Monica, a couple of our last questions here. If you could, you know, if you could go back, let's say to, you know, Santa Cruz, California, 20 years ago and there's a little girl there in the circle you know law and you could go in and you could kind of like do a surgery and remove part of her skull cap plant a couple seeds of success inside of there put the skull cap back no one would know the surgery happened and those seeds of success would germinate and make you even more successful what is it that you know now you would plant inside of young monica's head not it doesn't happen overnight (laughs) you know i think that's a big one especially these days with technology it's just you know it doesn't have to be, it doesn't always happen overnight, you know, stay consistent, stay persistent, um, and continue to believe in yourself. I wish I had a lot more confidence as a, as a young, as a younger athlete. Um, let's talk about that for a second. Confidence, Monica. You know, I wish I had been a little bit more confident, confident at a younger age and had kind of like owned who I was a little bit more, really like owned it. And, um, as an athlete and, and also probably as a woman also, but, um, as I, as I've gotten older, I've really learned that, you know, who I am on the softball field, that confident attitude and stuff, it's so important. And as you, you, people are going to perceive, people are going to react to you, how you, how you show them. So if you're acting like, you know, unconfident kind of person, then they're going to, they're going to perceive you that way. So it's important to, you know, little things are important and, and it's important. And it's so important to just like believe in yourself. And even on the days where you don't feel that great, um, because people, people are going to see you the way that you're feeling on the inside. Do you want more? Do you want the 20% that will get you 80% of the results? That's what I do for you when you join the inner circle. I cut through the clutter and give you the exact resources, techniques, and strategies that are going to help you become more. This is an exclusive group and is not for everyone. When you join the inner circle, you will immediately be surrounded by some of the best coaches in the country. 
Visit briancane.com slash inner circle to learn more and join today. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag PeakPod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominate the day.